Welcome to the Gateway to the Smokies podcast. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and rich mountain cultures that we explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in culture. Today, we're going to talk about masterful, masterful stories of the Smokies. But first, let's talk about our sponsors. <laughs> Imagine a place evocative of motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant, with a chic Appalachian feel. A place for adventure and for relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in a mountain heritage trout stream, grill the catch on a fire, and eat accompanied by fine wine or craft beers. Imagine a place with old-time music and world cultural sounds. There is no other place like the Meadowlark Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Your Smoky Mountain adventures start with where you stay. Another sponsor is SmokiesAdventure.com. That's Smokies, plural, adventure, singular.com. The Smoky Mountains and surrounding areas is a, is a vacation destination for all seasons. Some of the nation's best hiking trails, waterfalls, outdoor adventures, and family entertainment can be found right here. Start your adventure by using SmokiesAdventure.com to explore all the wonderful features of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. The trails, the waterfalls, Caves Cove, the Elk and Moor. Then check out all the awesome family attractions and entertainment and lodging you and your entire family can enjoy. And also find places to do life events like weddings and honeymoons, and romantic weekends. The goal of Smokies Adventure is to become the leading information portal for adventures and experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains. Got some events coming up. Uh, by the way, this is my, uh, my first podcast now as a resident, again, of, uh, of North Carolina. My family, I just moved to Asheville, North Carolina, so we're at the gateway of the Smokies. Um, and uh, looking forward to exploring the Smokies even further, uh, now being both in Buncombe County and Haywood County. <laughs> so, but some events coming up is this coming weekend, June 11th, there's going to be a pottery seminar with Corey Plot. He's a master potter, and he's the owner and operator of Plotware Pottery of Clyde, North Carolina. And he brings his mobile studio to our resort to teach participants and to make, their, to make their own piece of handcrafted pottery. You'll walk away with a piece of pottery. He will also be selling some of his award-winning, elegant, and durable utilitarian decor at the event. This weekend, I just saw some wonderful uh, wine decanters he made that were just fabulous. Uh, but you will get hands-on experience with a master craftsman, and then you'll make your own pottery. The class is limited to 20 participants, and it's... Uh, it's sixty-five for each non-guest and twenty for uh, for the uh, and twenty-five for motel guests and heritage club members. And then it'll be, afterwards, there'll be a free barbecue dinner and music with Mike Overtree. Book your slot now. Call eight two eight nine two six one seven one seven. On June eighteenth, the following weekend, uh, there's going to be uh, uh, part four of the Heritage Book Series with Bob Plot, and it's free for guests and members. It's uh, so please join us for yet another informative, entertaining, and fun afternoon of history, food, and music um, with award-winning um, Meadowlark Smoky Mountain Heritage Center General Manager Bob Plop. And he discussed his fourth book, 
colorful characters of the Great Smoky Mountains and weaves the lively stories of vibrant and intriguing characters, such as the Cherokee's uh, chiefs, Yana Guska, uh, Okana Stada, Dragon Canoe, and their allies, such as John Watts, along with their combatants, Robert Rogers, Quentin Kennedy, Keg Hagler, the Stockbridge Mohicans, Francis Marion, and others, and, weather, and other modern-day icons, such as Von Plott, uh, Charles Miller, and Earl Landy. It'll be followed by a book signing and a delicious barbecue dinner as well, and accompanying with acoustic music by Michael Ogletree and friends. It's, this event is free to motel guests at the Metal Ark Motel and Heritage Club members, and there's a mission charge for $10 for people that are not staying here. Um, and then August 6th is the launch of the Cherokee Heritage Series with Davy Arch. Uh, please join us in spending an intimate and enchanting afternoon with a tree, true Appalachian treasure, Davy Arch. Davy is a world-class Cherokee tribal historian and award-winning craftsman of traditional Cherokee crafts, especially specifically masks and baskets. And he's a beloved spokesman for the Eastern Band of the Cherokee Tribe. The event will be followed by the barbecue dinner and music with Mike Ogletree. Um, the admission is $20 per person. For all these events, call 828-926-1717 to reserve your seat now. Today, uh, we have a great guest who knows a lot about Cherokee culture and stories in these mountains. Her name is Annette Sanuk Clapsaddle, um, and she is a renowned author, writer, and educator, and is a graduate of Yale University and William & Mary, as well as an enrolled member of the Eastern Band of the Cherokee Tribe. Her award-winning debut novel, even as we breathe was the first novel published by a member of the Eastern Band of the Cherokee Tribe and was named one of the best books of 2020 by the NPR. Annette resides with her family in Kuala, North Carolina, which is in, in, the, in the Cherokee Reservation, and is an avid mountain biker, as well as a staunch advocate for equal rights education in Cherokee history. Hello, Annette. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Happy to be here with you. Well, thank you for it's. It's quite an honor to have you join us today. You have a you have an, an interesting history and an impressive resume, and and all of a sudden you're getting all sorts of awards for your writing. So that's that's pretty spectacular. Uh, but I wanted to start first with your background. You were born and raised in the Smokies, right? That's right. Lived here all my life except for um, undergraduate and graduate school. Cool. And uh, and you've been a member of the Eastern Band of the Cherokee Tribe for the, that, that your whole life too, right? Yeah, born into it. <laughs> born into it. You're, you're, you have some history there. Your grandfather, Os, Osley Sanuk, was the chief of the tribe, right? Yeah, his name's Osley. Uh, Osley Bird Sanuk. Um, and he was a two-term chief um, in the uh, 50s and into the uh, early 60s. He cool. had, there was a, a span where he was not chief, but two terms. Cool. Well, he was quite an interesting character in his own right. He was an esteemed, he was an esteemed tribal chief, but he was a former Marine. And he, and he started a thriving tourist business in 1956 that is still operational today. What was that business? Do you remember? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's Chief Snook's uh, trading post. And so the land where that is, um, it's also contiguous with kind of family land um, that, uh, that is home to Sanook's village. So there's several shops there that kind of grew out of Chief Sanook's uh, trading post, including Sanook's Millen shop that my, my dad built. <clears throat> cool. 
Well, it sounds like you can write about a book about him. You got any plans for that? <laughs> uh, well, I think we're going to talk later about my first novel. And, uh, right. <laughs> that, well, <laughs> well, Bob, Bob Plott, who I mentioned earlier, is you know the general manager here at the Metal Arts Heritage Center, said uh, his real relatives knew him and hunted with him often and spoke glowingly of him. Um, did you know him as a child, and uh, and 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 how he influenced? Did he influence you any in your growth? Unfortunately, I didn't. He died fairly young uh, from complications to diabetes. So he passed away in 1965 uh, at the age of 59. I was born in 81. So even my dad was uh, fairly young um, when my grandfather passed away. But Osley was, uh, in addition to being a two-term chief and a uh, businessman, he was a, the heavyweight wrestling champion of the world at one time. So he traveled uh, the wrestling circuit uh, as well. So he is incredibly fascinating. That's where I remember the name from. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and I've heard, um, like I'm sure Bob uh, would say, that everybody has a story about him, whether it's true or not. <laughs> well, wasn't, I'm there not a, sure. wasn't, there, wasn't there a bear museum there that had uh, stuff of uh, him as well? Didn't he at one point? There's a bear zoo, there? um, yes, and, and that's that same area, yep. Mm -hmm. He wrestled He wrestled a bear. I mean, I'm sure it was for show. You know, in this uh, in this uh, in this neighborhood, in North Asheville, where we moved in, we'd get lots of bears. I've already had two black bears in my backyard. Uh, Don't recommend wrestling them, though. Don't. No, 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 no. Well, I'm not. I'm not planning on it, but uh, yeah, I will. I will say loud noises to them. <laughs> uh, so uh, your 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 mother uh, your your mother who was his daughter was a teacher, which you are as well, right? Well, so yes and no. So my uh, my mother is not his daughter. My dad was his son. Oh, I saw. Um, okay. Yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, but my mom was a teacher for um, several years, kind of as uh, my dad was building his business and um, getting started, and then my mom. <clears throat> went to help full-time um, with the family uh, business in Snicks Village. Um, but she uh, taught reading. And this was before I was born. And I uh, didn't really kind of click in with me that, you know, you can, you can be a teacher and not be in a classroom. And so I think that she did in a lot of ways still influence me, even though I didn't grow up knowing her as a classroom teacher. Cool. And, um, so you guys, did you work in the family businesses as well? Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, grew up, I grew up in the mountains. I had to work in this. I worked in this metal art motel business as a child. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. As long as we could see over the counter, we were hired. So. Well, that's right. You know, we, I, I got paid the dime of room to clean rooms. <laughs> I, I, got, I got paid a bag of popcorn, too. Oh, <laughs> so right? I don't know. <laughs> and, and did your dad inspire you with his entrepreneurial activities? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm always inspired by my dad. Um, and, you know, I think to be an entrepreneur, as you know, you have to be willing to take risks. So I'm, I don't feel like I could, I'm there yet that I can take some of the same risks that he's taken throughout his life that really turned out to be worth it. Um, but there's a creativity to it um, that I have 
have appreciated. And I think I have picked up a little bit, at least, um, of that from him. I'm kind of laughing to myself because my dad lives above me, um, lives uh, in the house up the hill. And um, and we and my son and I were just helping him move a major piece of equipment in a really precarious way. And that, that kind of, um, I, you know, there's something about small business owners that want to do it themselves for the cheapest route possible. <laughs> well, listen, I, I had that imbued with me, you know, I, until – until I got into my fifties, I, I did all my moves myself. You know that includes all the heavy furniture. But I can remember sometimes having a pickup truck with yeah things so piled up so high, you know, and things. And this is in New York City, no less, and things like you know getting ready to fall off. But you know that was just the that was just the way you did things, right? <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was the the life of the entrepreneur and the children of the entrepreneur. Well, we have to go back and go and take a break now. That seems very quick, but uh, we had a nice, we, we're having a good conversation here. So when we come back, we'll start talking about uh, a little bit more about your background and then get into your books. Okay, sounds great. Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Annette Sanuk Clapsaddle. Today's, uh, today's uh, craft brewery from Western North Carolina is from Boozum, and it's King of the Mountain Double IPA, and I can recommend that highly. Um, good choice, good choice. <laughs> it's a good one, right? Yeah. So, Annette, you have this great, you had this great family and tribal support system, and you became an honor student. And then off you go to Yale University to get your bachelor's degree, right? Mm -hmm. Were you one of the first uh, students from Smokies uh, or Cherokee to get an Ivy League education? Um, there, there were a few before me that had Ivy League educations. Um, I, I know that there was a gentleman who had graduated from Dartmouth that's um, a tribal member. And then a couple that I think were, had gotten graduate degrees, maybe one undergraduate from Harvard. Uh, I believe, don't hold me to it, but I believe I was the first Eastern Band uh, undergraduate at Yale. Um, but I'm so happy to say that um, several have followed um, after me. So, um, and in fact, I just sent off uh, one of my, my seniors um, this year. She'll be going to Yale in the fall. Fabulous. That's great. You know, that's uh, always good, you know, dispel that hillbilly uh, stereotype. You know, I, uh, I got to, I got to do a little bit by myself. I got to leave here and go to, go to, I took, went through the school system here in Haywood County and got to go to Duke. So, yeah. So, uh, but uh, you know, it it can be done in this, in this remote wilderness, so to speak. (laughs) And then you went to, you got your master's degree at William and Mary. Uh, and you and you probably could have gotten a great job in any major city in the world, but you chose to come back home to the snow, Smokies. Why? Yeah, you know, I, I did think for a short time about you know public policy in D.C. or something like that. But um, I always tell people that you know so many people work their whole lives so they can retire to this area. Why don't I just start, you know, from the beginning? Um, you know, there's no point in wasting time. It is beautiful. 
Uh, and certainly I have many family connections here. Um, my husband is also um, from this area as well. He's from Swain County. So um, just had so many roots here. And I did, you know, I've traveled uh, my whole life. So I don't feel like I um, <clears throat> was afraid to live anywhere else. Um, but it's just such a beautiful place to be. I like the space of it. Um, and, um, you know, I, I want to raise my kids here. Yeah. Well, you, you got, you did, you did, you did your, you did your, uh, work in, 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 in business and, and things and, and, and public policy. You were the executive director of the Cherokee Preservation Foundation and the co-editor of the journal of Cherokee studies. But then you took your master's and your Ivy League degree and you became a teacher, was a teacher for 11 years at high school. Um, was, uh, that was an interesting choice. What made that choice happen? Yeah, so, well, I just um, completed my 12th year. There was a little bit of a break there while I, while I was at the foundation. Um, but I've known since I was little that I wanted to be a teacher. I'm not exactly sure why. <clears throat> um, but we had a uh, garden out in front of our house, and there were these really big rocks, different places in the garden. Um, so I made one of the biggest rocks was the teacher's desk, and then there were student desks rocks uh, in the garden as well and so when my brother who's three years older than me went off to school to you know kindergarten um i was playing school in our garden so there's been something about teaching since i was little um that's interested me but i've also been so blessed with incredible incredible teachers throughout my life um and then, you know public i was a public school student uh, kindergarten through um, high school. Me too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and just had phenomenal um, teachers. And I wanted to be like the English teachers I had, who always encouraged um, my creativity in writing. I saw a quote where you uh, in a magazine where you said, the best thing to do with the world-class education is to share it. Yes, yeah, so the uh, director of the teacher prep program at Yale um, <laughs> is responsible for that quote because I, I stepped onto the campus um, at of Yale in New Haven, Connecticut. My mom is with me as we're visiting. And um, we were introduced to the, the director of the teacher prep program. And my mom, who is very practical, looked at him and said, why would she go to Yale to become a teacher? And he said, that's the best thing you can do with a world-class education. <laughs> done at that. And my mom was like, all right, good enough answer. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Wow. So, um, but now you also started writing. And in fact, in 2012, you sort of had a, a little success at it. Uh, when did you first start writing? Uh, I've written my whole life. Um, yeah. You know, I... As a, again, I had these great teachers, so I still have these books that we made in elementary school out of, you know, cardboard and, and lined paper that we would uh, take together. Um, and I think my first writing contest was, it was either late middle school or early um, high school. I'm, actually, I'm looking over... Um, so my dad got me this great present. I'm looking at a framed check, and this is the first time I got paid for my writing. 
um, because it was the first time I won a writing contest. It happened to be poetry, which is not my thing. Um, But the date on the check is 1995. So freshman year, um, I guess, of of high school is, I guess, if you know, if you're entering contests, you're getting a little serious about it. (laughs) That's great. So you were you were actually very serious early on. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's pretty cool Uh, and then you continue it I mean a lot of people have the uh, the romance of being a writer but don't follow through so that's nice now I understand you know you were you you know you've been writing on the side because you're a teacher but you've been using your experiences uh, such as manuscripts as submissions finding agent rejection notice etc with your you've been sharing those experiences with uh, with, uh, your students Why, why are you doing that yeah, well, re- rejection's a great teacher, and I have plenty of it to, <laughs> to share. <laughs> you know, I think um, I, my goal as a teacher is um, to one create empathy through literature, um, but also a sense of resilience um, in the writing process. So, um, <clears throat> I, you know, I try to balance those two lives while I was uh, teaching and writing. And then I realized how much I was learning um, as a student of literature through my own process as a writer. So I, excuse me, would um, talk to students about what does a query letter look like and what's important to share um, about a story, you know, that I'm trying to pitch, pitch or whatnot um, about the mistakes I would make. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and how to overcome them. Um, and they love, they love that, you know, their teacher is making mistakes like them. Um, but also, um, as you know, there's really like two, um, cohorts of students for the, that went through the process of the novel. And it was so exciting to, um, yeah, I told them I would get an email from an agent. This is early on um, that I had queried, and I would I would say, okay, guys, I have an email in my inbox. I haven't read it yet. Here we go, and I would read it to them. It was you, you know, you have their attention because they want to know, right? Um, and so the the class that got to witness the publication process that you know that was a very special time. And then they went through the editing process with me. Um, with you know not everything, <laughs> but yeah. you know, to say okay, do you see this? Pa- this is just one page of edits that wow. I'm about to do, and for them to understand that that's part of it. Um, and then then of course this last class, um, they I think they want to go on book tour with me. They <laughs> they're really excited. <laughs> they feel, about they feel part of it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love the publicity end of it because that's what they've gotten to witness uh. and. Um, and they've been a part of some of my like Zoom calls and whatnot, wow. um, especially if they're with a university. Um, it's a good experience um, for them. Well, it's so. nice to make it's nice to make your life part of the education process. Yeah. I, I understand that your kids now have you know ambitions to be world class at whatever they do, right? Yeah, then, then it's possible that they know somebody. It becomes normalized for them, and I, yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. Normalizing. Um, education normalizing success i mean that you know i I talk about people follow the patterns of success right when they see patterns that are successful they will naturally start replicating those right and it's important for children to see those i think it's a wonderful thing to show them that process um you know firsthand 
Well, you know, I can yeah. tip my hat to you. That's great. Um, so I mentioned before, I think in 2012, your first manuscript won an award but was never published. Can you tell us what that was and, and, yeah. and why it didn't publish and that sort of thing? Yeah, so that, uh, the title of that was Going to Water, and it was a finalist for the Penn Bellwether Prize for Socially Engaged Fiction and then won um, a couple of other awards. But um, it is the fictionalized story of my grandfather, um, Ostley Sanuk. But I changed names and whatnot to protect the innocent. And the reason um, I, you know, besides the fact that he's a fascinating character, as I mentioned earlier, I never really felt like I know the full truth of who he was. And so I decided to make up who I thought he would be. how he might react in these situations. So I use a lot of the, the facts from his life, um, but it, you know, it is still fiction. I don't want to make my aunts and uncles mad at me. So, um, <laughs> but you know, it, it got close to publication a few times and I just, I was you know trying to find an agent who understood that voice of where I come from, that, that Eastern Band Cherokee is very different than other tribes. And I never really could quite connect um, with the right agent, so it's shelved for now. I think it, I think it'd make a wonderful uh, uh, movie or play or something like that. So, yeah, you know, uh, his life was uh, you know it's got it's got all that adventure, wrestling and business <laughs> and chief and you know that'd be cool. Yeah. All right, so we have to take another break uh, and we'll get into uh, your book. All right. All right, sounds great. Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy, back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast, and my guest, Annette Sanute Clapsaddle. Uh, so, Annette, you've uh, you've also written for many national publications, such as the Atlanta and Literature Hub, and but your real breakthrough was your debut novel, Even As We Breathe, which came out in the middle of COVID in 2020. And NPR put it on its best be- best books list. And it w- later won the Thomas Wolfe Literary Award. So, uh, congratulations! That's great. So, what inspired you to run write this wonderful novel? Sure. So, um, th- a few things kind of came together. <clears throat> the uh, probably most significant was that I had read an article in the Asheville Citizen Times um, about the role the Grove Park Inn played um, in World War II. The summer of 19, and actually, it was the article was really about Asheville's role um, during World War II, and there was a small paragraph about the Grove Park's role um, during that time. And so, um, you know, it, it said that the Grove Park held access uh, diplomats and foreign nationals as prisoners of war the summer of 1942. And as you mentioned earlier, I've lived here my entire life. And I have never heard that history. I never heard it either, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of the people um, who, you know, the, a lot of the local historians that I would ask, or my husband <clears throat> is a former history teacher, they, they were also not familiar uh, with that history. So that's enough of a mystery um, for me to dig into a little bit more. And so 
Um, I had also given myself a writing prompt. Um, this is after like the first novel I couldn't get published um, and I just was going to start something new. And so I'd given myself a writing prompt to write as long as I possibly could um, on the simplest object I could think of. And for some reason, I chose a bone, a clean bone. Um, and I wrote for a very long time in a very tiny room in the Jackson County Library in, in Silva, North Carolina. Um, and out of that piece and really thinking about, um, you know, what we leave behind um, and, and how we are judged on earth um, and how those things are often uh, counterintuitive, <laughs> counter right? Um, I decided that I, I wanted to see what would happen if I took a member of a sovereign nation, so County Sequoia is the protagonist who lives, who leaves uh, Cherokee to go work at the Grove Park Inn. And um, for guests that don't know, the Grove Park is um, a very high class resort. So presidents stay there. Yeah. The city girls stay there, you know. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, County goes to work there in a very different um, social environment, but it's also during wartime. So this question of um, citizenship and belonging in place um, all becomes really relevant. So um, it was really a setting driven novel, um, which seems odd to me to write, you know, um, but it, it made a lot of sense um, to really kind of turn up the heat on the that, time in place. That doesn't that doesn't strike me as odd about you. I mean, you, you <laughs> love the settings of the mountains. You came back to live in it. You know, I think settings is actually something that is uh, is important to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm daily inspired um, by where I live and the people um, of this place uh, and, and our interactions with this place. So, I, you know, I just, I think prior to that, I always thought, well, novels are either like plot driven or they're character driven. Um, but this setting really kind of exploded um, into the narrative. So, and it takes place uh, in 1942. And, and, and I th it's interesting, you deal with, you know, a love story, a coming age story. You know, I, I've, I've, you know I, I've just started the novel. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I just moved to Asheville, but, you know, we moved new, near to the Grove Park Inn. Right? Uh, yeah. and, uh, and, you know, it, it, Bob, Bob was telling me about you and I got the book and I've started writing, but I haven't had a lot of time to finish it. So I don't know all of it, but Bob says it's a masterpiece. All right. So. <laughs> About some known history of Western North Carolina. And I, I believe him. He's very good at that sort of thing. But it's interesting already that I'm seeing is you're also dealing with issues of citizenship, identity, and racism, all the concepts that we're debating and dealing with today. Uh, was that purposeful or um, came about just from uh the the characters and the in the setting i think in some ways it was purposeful um you know from that earliest writing exercise thinking about the bone um <clears throat> reminded me of when i worked in um our chief's office at one time um after graduate school i as a writer i was lucky enough to have the office right next door to um, a political figure, right? So it's like golden because I can hear through the wall. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember one day um, he had um, a, another local politician, a non tribal politician, come in and they were discussing this 
expansion of an airport runway that would uh, unearth Cherokee uh, burial sites. And um, I remember they were obviously at odds about what was about what would happen. And the chief explained to him that it is the same as going up to the graveyard and digging up that man's grandmother. And I'd never heard it explained so simply as that, right? That we um, oftentimes people think um, as as um, Native American bones as artifacts, as opposed to you know the human remains that that we consider oh, yeah. uh, family members. So. I think, you know, early on, I was thinking about the political and racial and, you know, implications of this story, but um, I, I joke that um, I didn't really consider that I was writing historical fiction until I was working on the marketing packet for my publisher. And you have to like, boxes and I was, oh, this is historical fiction. This is what they do. But it does feel so relevant to me. So many of the issues, unfortunately, um, are still relevant today. Um, and I wanted to use it as a lens to look at those issues um, that are in the news today. Wow. And you also wrote both from the male and female perspective. And I think that that takes a little bit of ta- uh, talent. How did you how did you nail that? Well, yeah, I often get um, asked about, you know, writing from a young male perspective. And then I remind people that I've taught high school for a dozen years and <laughs> I'm surrounded by it. Um, yeah. And I have an older brother and I grew up with, you know, male cousins. I have two boys that I'm raising. Um, you know, I'm really, I've been inundated <laughs> with, the, uh, with the male voice and perspective, but um you know, I also want to be respectful that, that I'm I'm doing it accurately. So, well, uh, I think it's I think that your interaction with your students has been a tremendous benefit for you in terms of your writing. And you know, I've seen some of the you know you reference things. I love the story of your student who was on a Zoom call with some New Yorkers and referenced his pref- his preference pronoun is y'all. That <laughs> is one of my favorite stories. I mean, we, were, we were we were very rural small school in yeah. North Carolina in the mountains. And uh, we're paired with um, Fieldston in New York City, which um, some of your listeners may be familiar with, private school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the New York kids were like automated that they gave their pronouns. Um, and our students, and this was a few years ago too, so our students were taken aback when that question came up on this Zoom call. <laughs> and he's the sweetest kid. He just said, uh, "My pronouns, y'all." <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's as good as any, right? How y'all doing? <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, that that's great. So I think that's uh, uh, I think that says a lot about you as a great writer and as a teacher that your students are um, uh, that are you know that are are really involved and really able to. You, you've really educated them to deal with the society and, you know, and they've, they've been helped you bring that into your writing. So um, congratulations. I think that's, that is the definition of success, a success, I think. Um, so life is going great for you. Uh, and you've been a great teacher for over a decade, living your dream in the Smokies with your husband, Evan, who is also a teacher and your sons and your debut debut is a huge success. Um, 
the, this year you sort of turned things upside down. Didn't you decide to retire from teaching? And yeah, my on writing and family and other projects. Yeah, my husband says I can't use the word retire. <laughs> ah, okay. Not officially retired. Um, no, I had a. Um, it was a tough decision. I really do love teaching. I love my students. Um, but I, you know, the book came out in 2020, and since then, it's been a full sprint just with um, <clears throat> publicity for the book, um, and then it's led to other opportunities, writing opportunities, public speaking, teaching workshops, and, <clears throat> you know, I don't want, you know, I guess I, it came down to a decision um, that I would, I have to choose one or the other. I cannot keep up the pace of full-time teaching, um, and pursuing writing, you know, to get the next novel out, um, as well. And, you know, if you are in education or you know anyone in education, you know that the last few years has been incredibly difficult. Um, and there, for me, there was not an end in sight to that, to that difficulty uh, of being a public school teacher. It's just kind of getting harder and harder. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't like to be pessimistic about it, um, because I want to encourage people. Um, but I can't do it. any. I just couldn't do it anymore if I wanted to continue writing. Um, mm -hmm. and it, you know, it is about time, but it's also just about like brain space and energy, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to put, put I mean, it's, it's a real shame that you have to be on the, at the forefront of cultural wars in, in, right. in school. That's just not fair to public teachers. Yes, yeah. and, and that's uh, what's happening. So. Yeah, and you know, and it's and it's really a misplaced fear that somehow you're, you know, you're destroying our children. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't have time uh, to do that. <laughs> Even uh, if I wanted to, I couldn't do it. <laughs> oh no! I mean, uh, the bane of my existence, and people could throw darts at me and want it, but I hate homeschooling. I've met mm -hmm. too many people that are like not even high school graduates who are homeschooling their kids, and I'm saying homeschooling to be what? You know, it's like, yeah, you know, you know, you're going to do more damage, damage than any you know trained teacher would do. It. I'm sorry, I'm I'm being a little political <laughs> here. I don't generally do it, but this issue, you know, since I got three and a half year old twins that got to go through, you know, life here of schooling, I'm I am, yeah, you know, I, I I understand where you're coming from, and I appreciate mm -hmm. the work that you did, and I can also understand, you know, taking the opportunity to retire retire from that. <laughs> 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 uh, so we're going to take a break now and come back and find out what you're doing next and talk a little bit about mountain bike all right sounds good Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy, back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Annette Sanuk Clapsaddle. So, Annette, what's next for you as a writer? Are you, are you working on a new book, right? Is it based on yeah. the story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've been working on one for a little while now, but <laughs> again, I had to put it aside um, for the full-time job. But um, yeah, this next novel is contemporary with a female protagonist. Um, set in Cherokee so it's pretty close to home I gotta make sure I, I, I stay far enough back from it so, uh -huh. um, but 
Um, I am fairly early in the process, but it's um, kind of being, it's inspired by some of our traditional stories. It's not a retelling of those stories, but it, I have mined those for um, the values that they uh, instill in our culture. And I'm kind of overlaying it on a contemporary um, political landscape in Cherokee. I'll put it that way. So, oh, awesome. so that's what I'm working on. Uh, your first, your first non-historical fiction. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> well, by the time I get through, it may be historical fiction. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> this was set to the years of the COVID crisis. Yeah, then COVID hit, and now I've got to rethink whether, you know, how COVID plays into this. Right, is COVID a character or not, yeah. Yeah, so I also do a lot of um, nonfiction writing for uh, regional magazines and things like that. Um, and I'm a um, an editor for the Appalachian Future series um, through University Press of Kentucky. So um, I stay pretty busy with different um, writing projects but the main one of course is that focus on the new novel mm -hmm. that's great uh and are you doing are you doing other things like workshops and uh yes stuff yeah. Like, like, cool. yeah that I, I think it's nice to be able to continue to teach um even though i'll i'll be out of um a public high school right so um teaching workshops uh actually leave um uh, friday um for um, LMU for um, for a festival there that I'll be teaching workshops and then I'll be teaching a full week at John C. Campbell um, Folk School in Brasstown, uh, North Carolina, starting Sunday. So well, I know that uh, Bob's putting trying to put together a literary conference here. I hope you participate in that. That'd be you'd be a wonderful part of it if it was possible. Yeah, uh, that should be good. So. Um, so I want to talk about you are a mountain biking uh, 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 enthusiast. Uh, yeah, what 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 do you like most about that sport? Um, well, I like being in the middle of the woods um, and feeling you know very isolated uh, from everything, but also going super fast. <laughs> I don't go super fast uphill. Um, yeah. but I love going super fast downhill, and it, I think it's it's because it is contradictory to how I normally am. I'm you know I'm, I'm a planner and I'm uh, fairly cautious, um, but this, <laughs> this is this forces me out of that comfort zone. Wow. Um, and I I mean I could talk for days about all the things I love about it. I just started uh, riding about five years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, first and foremost, it for, you know, for my health, I'm a former athlete. I used to play basketball, but my knees can't take that anymore. Mm -hmm. So I lost about 65 pounds when I started mountain biking. Wow. Uh, congratulations. Wow. And, well, I have a, I have a, a three and a half year old son named Henry that's uh, challenging you to a race right now. Oh, I'm in, Henry. I raced <laughs> one of my students this semester. It was on a road bike, and he was running. Uh -huh. downhill. He thought he could beat me, but it didn't happen. So uh -huh. I'm, I'm up for it, Henry. We'll ride. <laughs> <laughs> he loves to go fast. Uh, <laughs> so what are, your, what are your favorite local or regional trails? 
Um, my I, what I consider my home trail is uh, Fire Mountain Trail System in Cherokee, mm-hmm. um, and it's really kind of uh, when that trail system opened, um, I started learning more about mountain biking in general. So um, it's just a few minutes from my house. So I go there the most often. Um, Solly um, near Bryson City um, in the Fontana area. I do a lot of riding out there. Um, <clears throat> and oh gosh, there's DuPont and Brevard. Um, you know, we're, we're really lucky to have so many trails around here. Um, yeah. And my, you know, my favorite ones are maybe not the ones that are marked. <laughs> oh, all right. That's all right. Well, how about if you tried out some of the new ones? Have like the new Pike Park in uh, Chestnut Mountain in Haywood County. We just no, but I mean, so all of the there, yeah. There's lots of new places. It, it seems like in the last year and a half, and so all of these places are kind of on my list. I'm excited to have a little more flexibility in my schedule. Uh, you know, to make some of those day trips. Um, hopefully, out with some of my riding buddies, maybe uh, to go check them out. There's a um, a group of predominantly ladies that I ride with. Um, and we like to check out new trails. Cool. Do your, do your sons uh, ride as well? They do. Um, and they, <laughs> they'll, they'll ride, um, you know, for a while and then they'll get interested in something else. Um, but they both have bikes. So, um, they, yeah. they don't always go on trails with me. Um, but they're all over you know, our property. Um, How old are they? Uh, nine and 13, Charlie and Ross. All right. Almost teenagers. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, uh, well, it's good. Uh, and you, is there any, is there, you know, one of the things I'd like to ask is a, a recommendation for a place to eat for people listening to the show. If they're coming to, uh, to your part of the country out in the, the Koala, Koala boundary, the Cherokee reservation. All right. Um, <clears throat> I feel like I'm put on the spot here. I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what this, this one just popped into my head and we're not talking like gourmet food, but. Oh, um, something I think the people enjoy, that's all. Yeah, Yeah. Sassy Sunflower is like a sandwich shop. It's not like a sandwich shop. It is a sandwich shop. Um, Near the entrance to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in the Snake Village area. Sassy Sunflower is a great, um, a great, sandwich place and then i have to say if you want like the quintessential uh country buffet that has been around since the beginning of time you have to go to granny's kitchen um and get pie for dessert you definitely have to get pie for dessert. Get a pie you gotta get a pie yeah <laughs> cool well, fabulous well uh this now we're gonna you got any shout outs you want to mention how people get in contact with you find out more about your book that sort of stuff Sure. So I have a website. It's asanukclapsaddle.com. Um, and luckily I have one of the, <laughs> the most uh, unusual names. So you can pretty easily find me on the, on the Google search. But uh, I'll be updating that website uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, speaking about students, um, that's, that website was developed by a former student of mine. So I got to get uh, to updating it with... Um, events going on i'll be busy busy all summer with festivals and workshops and things like that um also i'm on facebook and uh on instagram and i just use my own name i don't do anything special so twitter also so just um annette's and it claps out it's pretty easy to find cool 
Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a wonderful conversation. I'm going to look forward to finishing your book, uh, especially since in the, it's in the North Asheville area where I just moved to. So I find out a little bit about the history of that area. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, glad to meet you, and hopefully we'll continue having conversations. And how, have you out here a conference at uh, the Metal Arc, the Heritage? Yeah, uh, I, hope, I hope I'm able to join you. I'd love to do that. Oh, cool. So this uh, this podcast is Gateway to the Smokies. It's live streamed on Facebook.com slash Gateway to the Smokies podcast, as well as on TalkRadio.nyc, which is a is a network of live podcasts. Um, and I, I recommend you take a chance to look at that network. There's a lot of great podcasts to listen to live, which I find to be a very dynamic format. Uh, uh, and I think interesting if you want to be involved in conversations that seem real. Um, and they range from small business to self-help to pet care to any number of things. Uh, and it's, uh, I think it's a wonderful network to become aware of and join in. Um, I also have another podcast on this network called Wise Content Creates Wealth. I have a marketing company that specializes in uh, content and uh, memorable tourism experiences for travel. And I talk about that quite a bit on uh, Wise Content Creates Wealth. So, and that's on Fridays from noon until uh, 1. And this podcast, Gateway to the Smokies, is every week, Tuesdays from 6 to 7 on this network. Uh, and I hope you will join me again next week uh, for another great guest and another great conversation. And thank you very much. Um, it's been nice having you uh, here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. <laughs>